Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When I think about Advent, I think about those unforgettable words of the London underground that came into use in 1968 after it became impractical to employ stage attendants to warn passengers. Mind the gap, says the voice. I have doing British accent here, I, I wimped out. In the whirl of the underground, in the toing and froing of the subways, on your phone or reading the paper, you are reminded to pay attention. Mind the gap, a good advent word for us. I remember the first time I learned about the gap. As some of you know, before my days as a priest, I was a basketball coach. I coached junior varsity girls at my former high school in Birmingham, Alabama. Oak Mountain Eagles. We called ourselves the JV Eagles. So it was my last game as a coach. I had had a three-year ride, and what a ride it was. We had only lost a couple of games, and we had won Metro each year. And here we were, back at the Metro Championship, squaring off against the Lady Panthers, a clash of the Titans. In the realm of world affairs, this game meant nothing. In the realm of a college-aged, overpassionate coach, this was huge. The gym was packed. No, it wasn't. <laughs> By packed, I mean I recognized a couple people there who were not parents. But here we were, eight seconds left in the game. We had just mounted a comeback, down three. We had the ball and a chance to win, or a chance to send the game to overtime, and from there, would clinch the championship. I had drawn up the perfect play. I couldn't have been more confident. Friends, my legacy as a JV girls basketball coach was about to be sealed in the history books. If we pulled this one out, Oh, what would they do for me? Would they rename the gym after me? Oh, maybe a bronze statue of Coach G out front. At the very least, they could refer to this play as the play, and the winning shot as the shot. Well, I hate to tell you this. But the gap between what I drew up on the whiteboard and what my Jay Veagles proceeded to do couldn't have been wider. <laughs> Did they not understand the play? Had they not listened to me in this legacy-infused moment? What is happening? What ended up happening is that a player who never really got to play much, named Jameson, who was only playing because three other players had fouled out, she shot the ball and made a two-point basket. She made it 
but it didn't matter. We needed a three. We lost the game. I was stunned. I despised the gap between my playboard and the scoreboard. Well, it's here that I want to enter into our gospel text, finally. <coughs> John the Baptist is in prison today, and he is scratching his head, lost in bewilderment. John the Baptist, the one who knew Jesus so well, who baptized Jesus, who preached and prepared the way for him, here he is. Remember, one of his famous sermons was about God and all his righteousness, separating the wheat from the chaff. And surely, John the Baptist is among the wheat. But here, he's like the chaff, thrown thoughtlessly into prison. And it's here that he wonders if he's been serving the right guy. Um, Jesus, did you miss the play that's been drawn up? What happened? The gap between the Jesus he thought he knew and the Jesus who is couldn't be wider. His surefire victory is up in smoke. John feels the utter poignancy of the gap. There will be no bronze statues for John the Baptist, no eponymous buildings in his honor. There is only the prison cell and the deflated feeling of thwarted hope. We don't have to think hard about the gaps we experience in our world. There is always the dissonance, that which doesn't quite add up. The world that we long for, the world that we know is ours in Christ, and the world as it is. Mind the gap, says the voice. Have you seen the new artwork in, on Carnegie Mellon's campus? It's a series of climbers on a pole, and they are all ascending step by step from one degree of success to another. Interestingly, the pole just leads to the sky, depicting no end to the climb. Exhausting. John the Baptist wants to be on that pole, but he isn't. Is this where speaking truth to power lands you, not on a pole of success, but in prison? Well, John asks the only question he knows to ask. Are you the one who is to come, or should I look for another? I remember walking back to the locker room after the game. I couldn't quite figure out what to say. This was the end of my coaching era. And yet, I had a pit in my stomach. I wanted to win so bad. So I head into the locker room and I notice a couple of the JV Eagles had a little smile on their face, though. I was puzzled. After a second, someone volunteered the news. Coach, Jameson scored. Jameson scored. What? I thought, who cares? We lost. <laughs> Jameson, that was brilliant, said another. Jameson hadn't scored all year. This was partly because she didn't get to play a whole lot. The game of basketball didn't come all that easy for her. But Jameson loved basketball, and the rest of the team loved how much Jameson loved basketball. 
But Jameson also didn't play because she had missed a large part of the season. Jameson's mom had passed away a few weeks before the season started from cancer, and some days coming to practice was just too much for Jameson. Jameson scored, said the voice. I looked over and saw Jameson, and she had this broadening grin on her face. And the entire locker room got swept up in this. The gap between the pit in my stomach and what was real for the team in that moment was filled by Jameson's hesitant but very real grin that intimated a joy of a thousand Metro championships. It seems one of the most trustworthy principles of God's kingdom is that it's after we lose what we thought to be so important that we discover that which is of immeasurable worth. Are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? asked John. Jesus answered, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Oh, and tell him that Jameson scored. <laughs> Advent tells us about the gap between the world as we experience it and the world as it is in God's eyes, the gap between heaven and earth. Our culture is so good at trying to fill the gap, to buy and consume the gap away, to suppress it and anesthetize it with false promises of heaven. It may be time for a new AA program, Amazon Anonymous, and a new NA program. While we're at it, Netflix Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over Amazon and Netflix and our lives have become unmanageable. But perhaps the most seductive temptation is to just avoid the gap altogether, to tune it out like a busy London commuter who's grown desensitized to the voice. Give attention to the gap between heaven and earth, Advent tells us. Don't fill it, just mind it. Embark on that radical act of letting yourself feel vulnerability, because the gap between vulnerable love and ironclad self-will is the most imprisoning gap in the world. And it is the gap that God intends to fill in his incarnation. Today, with John in prison, it's not the pole of success we are given, so much as it's the promise of new life. And I wonder if that's what every climber is searching for anyways. I didn't know it until after the game, but that's what I longed for too. Though a win would have been really nice. Here's the beginning of our reading from Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. In the gap between what we know and what we long for, in the gap between our defeat and our joy, in the gap between heaven and earth, there is new life happening, a grin on a girl's 
face, a flower blooming in the desert, something like a baby, brimming with promise and possibility being born in our midst. And that life is worth the joy of a thousand championships. Amen. <laughs>